Hello and welcome to Field Notes, a podcast about linguistic fieldwork. I'm Martha Sutsui Billens, and today's episode is with Michael Karani. Michael Karani is a lecturer at the University of Dar es Salaam, where he teaches linguistics and communication studies. He holds a BA and an MA in linguistics from the University of Dar es Salaam and a PhD in African languages from Stellenbosch University. Michael conducted fieldwork for his native language, Arusa, which is a Maasai dialect spoken in Arusha, northern Tanzania, where he studied the Arusa verb system during his MA studies. For his PhD research, he investigated verb morphology and argument structure in the Parakuyo dialect, another Maasai dialect spoken in northern and coastal areas in Tanzania. Currently, Michael is working on further research on Arusa, particularly the expressive grammar, namely idiophones, interjections, and gestures, aspects of the language that have not yet been given enough attention by linguists. He's currently working in collaboration with Dr. Alexander Anderson from Stellenbosch University. I really enjoyed getting to chat with Michael. He's so he's such an interesting person and his research is so fascinating, especially the work he's doing on idiophones. Um, I really enjoyed learning more about that. Some of the features in this part of Arusa is not found in other parts of the language, uh, such as clicks. And yeah, I just, I found it really fascinating. It's always interesting to hear about idiophones and gestures, especially because that's not something that I work in myself. So I'm always interested to hear about it and how people do that research. But yeah, I'm really excited to share this interview from Michael. Thank you to everyone who was so understanding about the short podcast sabbatical last month. I have a, a few really exciting interviews lined up that I can't wait to share with everyone. And if you want to hear more about uh, why I was taking a sabbatical, uh, or if you are at the end of the podcast backlog and you're looking for more Field Notes, you can check out check out the Field Notes Patreon, where you get one bonus mini episode every month, and I will link that in the show notes. So. Uh, with that business out of the way, let's turn to this interview with Michael. So, Michael, thank you so much for coming on to Field Notes. So, to start, can you uh, introduce yourself briefly and your work a little bit? Uh, sure. Um, I'm Michael Karan, a lecturer at the University of Dar es Salaam, and here at the university I teach uh, communication studies and linguistics. Awesome. Thank you. So the first question I want to ask you is, how did you first get involved in linguistics? Uh, I got involved in linguistics um, when I joined the university, but also uh, my passion began when I was young because I liked our language, our native language, but also um, the knowledge within um, the language of, of Maasai. And I thought it is a good idea to 
develop that interest and later document the language, uh, have resources written for um, future generation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so you're a speaker of Arusa. Can you give listeners who aren't familiar with the language um, some context about it? So where is it spoken? Who speaks it? What other languages are in contact with it? That kind of thing. Uh, yes, as I said, I'm a native speaker of Arusa, and Arusa is a dialect of Maasai. And Maasai is a, an Eastern Ilotic language spoken in southern Kenya and northern Tanzania. Tanzania uh, in particular, there are three different dialects of Maasai, and these are Arusa, Kisongo, and Parakuyo. And the three of these dialects are spoken um, mostly in the northern part of Tanzania, but Parakuyo is, speak, is spoken in the coastal area, a central and the coastal area of Tanzania. In the context where uh, we have many languages, uh, now we have the Maasai dialect spoken only by children at homes. Uh, the language is not taught in schools, so there are limited domains of use. Uh, but uh, generally speaking, the, the, you know, the community is still vibrant and the language is, is used uh, as a medium of communication in remote areas where the Maasai live. But we have uh, Kiswahili as a dominant language used in schools and in marketplaces. And this also poses a threat to uh, the vitality and, and the use of Maasai uh, in Tanzania. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you explain the difference between um, Maasai languages and in the literature? I've also seen Ma languages. Is there a difference? Um, uh, about the terms, uh, you'll find mostly people using uh, Maasai, but also the language is referred as Ma by the Ma community because Ma is the people. And generally speaking, these terms are used interchangeably. So uh, when one says Ma or Maasai, they generally mean the same thing. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Is there any kind of official policy that like recognizes Maasai languages or gives any support to them? Or is it pretty much just like they're on their own? Yeah, it is. Um, it's like they're their own. Uh, uh, remember, in Tanzania, we have more than 128 languages, and uh, the government or the policy uh, uh, promotes the use of Kiswahili and English, and there is no um, support to local languages spoken by these communities. So uh, you have these individual uh, ethnic uh, uh, groups with their language, uh, and they can only... Uh, transfer the language to the younger generation uh, when they use it at, at homes and there are no other formal uh, uh, platforms where these local languages can be used. Mm, I see. Can you tell us a little bit more about your main research interests? My main research interest is on uh, documentation of Arusa. And I started working on uh, Arusa uh, when I was doing my MWA studies. Uh, I wrote about uh, the Arusa web system. I did field work in Arusa, the Arusa community. Uh, but also in, during my PhD studies, I 
did an investigation of another uh, Maasai dialect that is Parakuyo, uh, spoken in Morogoro and the coastal area of Tanzania. And so currently I work on further research on Arusa, in which I, we have a project that is ongoing as about documenting idiophones, interjections, and gestures uh, in Arusa. And I, I work on this uh, together with uh, Dr. Alexander uh, Anderson, uh, who is a faculty at Stellenbosch University. But also, uh, in connection to that, uh, we recently won a grant to do um, some research on the sound system in Maasai and Akiek. Uh, these are languages that fall under the uh, Rift Valley zone. And with this, uh, in this project, I work with uh, Professor uh, Didier Dimolin from France. Oh, amazing. Congratulations on your grant. Thank you. That's exciting. Um, can you tell us more about the, the idiophones and the gestures and, and uh, interjections? I'd love to hear more about that. Yes, uh, with idiophones, I started this project a little bit earlier. So I was collecting um, tokens of idiophones that I used as, these small words that I used as idiophones. Uh, most of them come from imitation of sounds or made by human beings, animals, or events. Um, so the, this is a category of words that have not been given much attention by linguists. And in the literature that is available, there are very few um, uh, tokens or words that are specifically used as idiophones. Uh, likewise, with interjections, um, the, 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 the literature we have uh, mentions uh, little, um, probably five uh, interjections that we could collect from the written uh, literature. And uh, talking about gestures, uh, there are no really uh, resources documenting gestures that accompany interjections, for example. And just to get a little bit deeper uh, in terms of uh, interjections, we have written an article documenting about uh, connective animal cause, which is part of the, the interjection project. And we have uh, different sounds that came up as part of the language uh, used by human beings, between human beings and animals. Uh, for example, for dispersal, uh, words for dispersal, salmon, or giving directives to animals. Uh, just to give an example, we have an interjection like suk. Uh, this is the, this is not part of the uh, regular grammar of the language. You could only find in this context where human and animals communicate. This is calling, uh, when you say suk, you are actually uh, asking chicken to go away. Or um, we have another interjection like sek. Sec is for um, asking the donkey to move um, or sered um, to keep moving. Uh, when you want to call uh, animals like uh, cattle, for example, you can use words like woo. And this is uh, it's a kind of a secondary uh, interjection uh, in which uh, this word can also be found in the regular uh, grammar of the language. So we have two different categories, primary uh, interjections, interjections that cannot be used uh, for other functions other than interjection and specifically for uh, animal communication. And we have fewer words that can be found 
can you know have meanings in regular language lexicons but also they can be used to communicate with animals wow that's really interesting and then there would be a gesture that would accompany the utterance or is that a completely separate aspect sure um the way we uh, described this um uh, for now is all about uh, uh these tokens but also we got an idea that it's also good to investigate uh, the kind of gestures that accompany uh, these animal calls. Because we find that when speakers of Arusa uh, communicate with these animals, they, there are some gestures they do uh, in order to accompany or add meaning or make the animal kind of predict or get the, the, the message that the, the, the speaker is giving. So we have this as a component that will be worked on or investigated uh, separately and of course connect with these kind of words but yeah it's, it's an ongoing task that we think is good to um, bring it out yeah that's really interesting that's really cool yeah um and the last question i want to ask about about these idiophones and interjections briefly is mm -hmm. do you do you use the same um, word to disperse all different kinds of animals or do each type of animal have their own vocabulary? Like if you're dispersing a donkey, a group of donkeys, is it different from dispersing a group of chickens or? Yeah. Um, uh, these tokens or these interjections are specific to certain uh, species of animals. So, or animal um, types. So we have different uh, tokens for cattle, for chicken, uh, for donkey, for example. Um, so uh, when you want to call a dog, you would use uh, an interjection like, it's a, a click-like, it's another unique feature of interjections. Or when you want to call a cat, you would say, it's also a click uh, sound that we use, uh, uh, particularly for interjections. And calling a chicken, for example, uh, we say kuru, kuru, or kuru, 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 kuru. So these are kind of, uh, I mean, uh, lexicon or words that are used for specific animals. That's so interesting. That's so cool. Okay, so can you describe what a general day is like for you when you're collecting data? Do you have a routine or is every day different? Can you tell us more about that? Yes, in, in terms of um, uh, a typical day in a field work, for example, um, always I have a scheduled interview, for example, uh, to meet with language consultants. So I have to make sure that I communicate uh, with them early in the morning to, to make sure that they are uh, prepared for an interview and then meet, uh, depending on the nature of uh, an interview and the, how much time we have and the, the subject that we are uh, dealing on that particular day. It can take, for example, an hour or two hours um, of, in, of an interview and then later um, try to uh, have time to code data, um, do some backup, uh, say from a recorder, sound recorder to a computer or to an external hard drive. And if there are some uh, follow-up questions that I might have later after an interview, I'll have to write them in my notebook just to make sure that you, you wrap up the day by uh, putting everything together.
So that is actually how uh, a typical day looks like. Can you tell us how you choose the people that you work with during your research or do they come and choose you? Like how, how do you find the people who you end up working with on your projects? All right. Um, trying to support um, language consultants, uh, um, I mean, it's something that you can decide. I mean, it's, it's about sampling, but also you can have a kind of uh, purposive sampling where you identify these people um, early enough, people you think that they can give uh, good data in terms of authenticity, but also uh, their knowledge about the language, uh, but also about the culture and, and, and practices in the society, uh, but also people who can give um, you know, stories, uh, folklore, and or real life experiences. So I use purposive sampling, try to get people who have all these kind of experiences and, 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 and features that I mentioned. So in most cases, we approach, uh, you know, old people who are still, who still have good memory, but also sometimes uh, younger ones who can talk about contemporary life experiences and, and have good sense of their language. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Can you speak to the challenges or to the advantages that you've experienced as an insider linguist? And does, in your opinion, does working as a researcher cause the community's perception of you to shift? Uh, well, I think there are some advantages uh, working as an insider researcher uh, in your community. For example, I speak the language, so I can, you know, make friends quite easily. I can spot people, uh, informants or language consultants whom I think can provide good data. And I can explain um, the objectives and why I, I'm doing such research. And they're really interested to learn that one of them, uh, a person from their own community, has some interest in language documentation and can tell them the benefits of uh, documenting the language, uh, the knowledge and, and, the, and, and the culture. So I, I enjoy that, but also I can test and try to validate data by asking uh, same questions to different people, just to make sure that we, we, we ensure data authenticity so that people may not lie uh, to you or simply agreeing that this is acceptable or we say this simply to make you happy because that happens. So that's something that um, an insider can really uh, get um, uh, to do uh, in, in the right way. But also uh, talking about challenges, um, probably the, the most common challenge is resources. So um, a person documenting a language that is underdocumented like mine would have a lot of ideas and would want some resources to uh, facilitate uh, documentation in general, have some literacy books written or compile a dictionary or write a grammar book and try to find some ways to disseminate uh, to the community so that people uh, keep learning their language and try to develop their language. So that is something I, I, I see as a little bit of a challenge. But also the, the lack of administrative support or political will uh, in terms of language planning, language policy, the, the policies do not really promote local languages in Tanzania. So 
there is a danger of losing um, a number of languages because it all depends on insiders, insider researchers and the community uh, itself to find some ways to document the language and uh, to train, uh, to teach the young, young, um, young generation uh, about the language. Yeah, community perception, uh, generally I would say, um, is very positive. Uh, they, they, they see that it's a kind of um, advancement to have people from their own community you know, with interest in documenting the language, but also documenting the indigenous knowledge. They, they share their culture uh, that is somehow threatened by globalization, uh, the dominance of Kiswahili, um, uh, you know, formal education and, and all sorts of modernity that, you know, is getting to, to these communities. So uh, the, the perception is quite um, uh, good. And I don't think whether they, you know, they could see me as, you know, um, the way they see probably foreign uh, researchers whom they think sometimes they have some hidden agenda. So um, I think, yeah, that's how it is in terms of perception. Mm, yeah. yeah. Do you have thoughts on how we can have more community member linguists involved in language documentation and research? Yeah, maybe some ideas um, about in trying to recruit more community members. Um, so, for example, if we get um, university students with interest in linguistics and documenting uh, their own language, um, People, you know, students from Maasai community, for example, that would be a good opportunity. Um, mm -hmm. Trying to look for scholarships for them, and and try to you know tell them and train them how important it is to document uh, these languages. And also uh, another approach that is that has proven to be useful is the model that has been used by uh, ELDP researchers Richard Griscom and Andrew Harvey. Uh, who trained local researchers, people who reside in the villages, not necessarily with, you know, high education, but could be a grade seven liver, but they can be trained to use computers, to use cameras and audio recorders. And I participated in their workshops and I, I really enjoyed the, I, I was, um, you know, very, it was very exciting to see these people, um, uh, catching up quite quickly, more than we expected, and started using this equipment and document the language, do some basic coding, and, and send data through internet, for example. So that is, I think, is a good approach that can be uh, emulated by other inside researchers. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Richard Griscom and Andrew Harvey have both been on Field Notes before, and I'll, I'll link their episodes in the show notes, because they also spoke about this model, this collaborative model where they did the in-community language documentation trainings. And yeah, it was really, really amazing and interesting to hear their experience. What advice would you give to someone who wants to do field work or research working with speakers of Ma languages, but they're maybe early career, they're just starting out? Do you, do you have any thoughts for them? Uh, right. Um, about an advice uh, to researchers who want to work on Maasai, I would, I would, I would start by saying the general um, uh, work uh, practices, uh, theory and, and, and practices uh, by other researchers are really important. Uh, so one would 
you know, orient themselves on, themselves on how to go about uh, fieldwork and what are the basics, how to do good sampling and how to approach the community. Uh, but also speaking specifically to somebody who wants to do research in the Maasai community, I think it's good to uh, first establish uh, a good relationship with consultants, um, educate them about the objectives of the project and why it is important that they participate and, and try to facilitate the project. Uh, but also, um, if possible, they can have a Maasai speaker as a research assistant who will definitely try to translate uh, and, and uh, make communication smooth in general because um, to have a, 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 you know, a foreign uh, researcher who doesn't speak the Maasai language of them in the middle of the community and there is no means of translation or communication, that would be a problem because in some of these areas, um, the Maasai area, you, you could actually go to the village, you don't find anybody speaking Swahili. So even when you speak mm -hmm. Swahili, it's not a guarantee that you'll be able to communicate to the Maasai community. Mm -hmm. And so by having somebody from the speaker community, they can teach you something about their culture, traditions, and customs, and how to get consultants using purposive sampling, for example, because they could be residents of the area. They know people who are good at, you know, uh, giving good data and stories, um, but also how to get uh, to the remote areas because the geography might present some challenges. So you need somebody who knows the routes and, and what is necessary to get there, but also the right season to go there. And some other little um, uh, things to do and, 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 and don'ts in a certain community because there are things you do in a certain community because it's out of their culture, they're not used to it, they can maybe put them off. And this is really important to get good orientation of the community you want to work in. Mm, yeah, definitely. Do you have any advice for insider researchers? Like maybe something you wish you had known when you had first started doing linguistic research? I think um, maybe I should speak about my experience. Um, first time I went for field work and I thought because the Maasai would like to have a conversation under the tree, um, you know, a shed under the shed and most cases you find trees with some good shed. Now I, I went there and I sat with them. It was a kind of a focus group discussion and I thought because they like sitting under the tree, that would be an ideal environment for recording. Uh, just to realize that with you know the with the wind, but also some noise uh, uh, made by cattle and people passing by, that really made me realize that's not the ideal area for documentation. So you know, fieldworks uh, that I did thereafter, I, it was very important to find a cool place um, uh, without any kind of distraction. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really good advice. Are there any common misconceptions that you hear frequently about Maasai languages, like things people often think at conferences or if they're not familiar with this group of languages or are there things that you've you've often heard that you'd like to bring awareness to? Yes, some of the misconceptions is on the part of the of the Maasai people 
where some of them think that uh, Maasai shouldn't be in distinct uh, dialects. So they would want to say, I speak the standard, I'm a Maasai, I speak the standard dialect, whereas looking at the facts, the linguistic facts, that, that's not the same. So you find them speaking a different dialect, and, but claiming to uh, be able to speak or to speak uh, another dialect. Uh, but also uh, a misconception that uh, it's a bad idea, it's, it's, a, it's a bad thing to have different dialects. And so sometimes they would try to imitate um, uh, speaking uh, like people from uh, Kisongo dialect, for example, which is considered to be a standard dialect. Um, you know, and we think linguistically speaking, this is not right. I think this is a misconception because we already have these dialects developed and they are distinct and you can tell through the lexicon, the, 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 the phonology of the language. And I think this is something that they, they need to be educated. Uh, but also uh, for people uh, who, you know, who come from other communities, they think that Maasai is all, always, uh, you know, one language. Uh, they they can't tell any difference uh, or they, they don't know that there are different dialects or uh, spoken by Maasai from different sections. So for them, for other speakers of, for speakers of other languages or other communities in Tanzania, they always see that Maasai is one. So I think this, that's also another misconception. And also, Maybe this is a kind of minor one, thinking that Maasai is a difficult language. You, you hear people telling you, do you speak Maasai? Oh, that's a very difficult language. How, how, do, how can one learn? Can one learn this language and be able to speak? <laughs> so that's, that's common for people yeah, <laughs> from Tanzania. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay, so the last thing I'd like to ask you is what future research are you most excited about? Yes, um, um, I would really love uh, in the future to see um, myself developing a Rusa grammar or somebody else coming up or some insider ling linguists coming up trying to develop grammars of these other dialects like Parakuyo grammar, Kisongo grammar, so that they can be described and these distinction, I mean, the, the, the differences in these dialects can be well elaborated or described for uh, speakers to understand, but also my wish is to see um, uh, different uh, small um, publications or texts or for 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 this uh, young generation, primary school children, to read some stories. So I, I wish that people start writing some you know stories in Maasai, and so that people young the young generation can read. And another wish is that to see if we can establish some language centers in these communities where people can have these resources available uh, for the Maasai speakers or teach other people uh, Maasai language and act as contact to, let's say, foreign uh, researchers when they want to collect some data, act as collaborators of uh, language researchers when they come to their areas, you know, in to do some field work and, and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, Michael, so much for coming on Field Notes. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you online, where they can read your, your work and your publications? 
Uh, well, I'm currently developing um, my website, so I think when it's ready, I will share them online. But uh, they can get my uh, works, um, for example, Academia, ResearchGate, and Google Scholar. So these are the links that I have already. They can see my pub some of my publications. Perfect. Great. And I'll link those in the show notes. And when your website is up, I'll add that. You can send it to me later. Awesome. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you. It was a great pleasure to have an interview with you. Thank you. You've been listening to Field Notes, a podcast about linguistic fieldwork. This podcast is hosted and produced by Martha Satsui Billens with production help from Laura Satsui. Our music is by Lobo Loco, and our logo is by Evil Designs. If you have a question or fieldwork experience to share, you can email us at fieldnotespod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ling Field Notes. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us an Apple Podcast review. Thanks for listening.